Let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Three parables of our Lord Jesus Christ with one lesson. One lesson with several aspects, but yet one lesson. Christ receiveth sinful men. I hope you enjoyed singing those songs. I hope you have a heart that feels and knows what you sang. I hope you have a mind that understands it. We have one thing in common among us, and that is sin. We're all sinners. We all need the same kind of a Savior. But we have another thing in common among us, and that's hatred for each other and a resentment for the forgiveness that God shows and a resentment for the forgiveness that men show because of pride. Pride infects every one of us and it keeps us from truly forgiving, forbearing, being lowly, being meek, long-suffering. And we want to learn those things from these three parables. We want to learn both. We want to see that the Lord Jesus Christ receives sinful men. He'll receive us at any time that we'll confess our sins and turn to Him. We want to learn the lesson to comfort other sinners. And we want to learn the warning of this passage, not to be like the Pharisees and the scribes, not to be like the elder brother in resenting a party for one that was recovered from the dead, for one that was found that was lost. That's a time of celebration. And we all ought to want to celebrate. The angels in heaven celebrate. And if we're going to be a church of the heavenly Jerusalem, we want to celebrate. We want to be a church that loves the forgiveness of sins and loves to forgive sinners. We want to do it freely, quickly, graciously, compassionately, and excitedly. I have a great Savior to tell you about this morning. Any wise man looking at Luke 15 and thinking about standing before the Lord's people can only think, I can only fail. It's difficult to even want to take the words up and explain them, lest you sully them, lest I dirty them with my words because they're so precious as they are written. So have mercy upon me. I've asked the Lord to have mercy upon me. I'd rather leave it alone. I'd rather read it and sit down and sing the 90 and 9 again. But let's look at it for a few minutes. We have an audience for these three parables. We want to put ourselves in both parts of this audience. It was a divided audience. One part of the audience feared the other knew they were despised by that other one. And that other part of the audience despised those, and it was true, and hated them. Didn't think they had a right to be there. Let's look at it, the first two verses. Then drew near unto Him all the publicans and sinners, for to hear Him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. Thank you, Lord, that their murmuring was true. That Christ Jesus receiveth sinners 
and eateth with them. Let's look first at the publicans and the sinners. And that's you and me in one part of our nature. Indeed, we're publicans and sinners. Now, when someone in the Gospels is called a sinner, it's not just an ordinary sinner. It's not a casual sinner. Not a typical sinner. Because all men are sinners. If the Lord had meant it in the way that all men are sinners, the word wouldn't have any meaning here. These are public sinners. Obvious sinners. Sinners that the Pharisees and scribes could look at and know they were sinners. In this category were the publicans. What was a publican? Someone who had betrayed his own nation to become a tax collector for the occupying Romans. What? A traitor. And many of them were thieves. Because while they were collecting taxes, they tacked on their 15% gratuity. As Zacchaeus. When the whole crowd murmured when he came out of the sycamore tree because he was a wicked man. He was a sinful man that had taken advantage of men because of his position of power of the Romans. So we have publicans there. They were despised by good nationalistic Jews, Pharisees, and scribes. But we have these sinners. You know, and these sinners would have been harlots for sure. Because we're told in other places that it was publicans and harlots that came to the Lord Jesus Christ. They entered into the kingdom before the Pharisees and the scribes went in. The great sinners went in first because they saw forgiveness for the first times in their, for first time in their lives. The Pharisees and the scribes didn't go into the kingdom of heaven because they didn't think they needed forgiveness. So they didn't appreciate the Savior. Harlots, prostitutes, women of the night, maybe in their clothing, maybe in their makeup, flocked to the Lord Jesus Christ, lost, forlorn, dead, a soul that had been crushed by their sins. They knew there was one hope for them. They didn't come to get rid of their ingrown toenail. They didn't come to get rid of kidney stones. They didn't come to get rid of the palsy, leprosy, or blindness. They came for to hear Him. They wanted to hear the Lord Jesus Christ comfort them with the forgiveness of sins. These were repenting publicans and sinners. No one wants to go hear the Lord Jesus Christ unless they're repenting. Get that first. Are you in the first category? A sinner repenting. Verse 1 tells us that all the publicans and sinners drew near. They wanted to be close to Him and they wanted to get there where they could latch upon every word that fell from His gracious and forgiving lips. There were murderers there. Seditious. Those that had rebelled against their parents and broke their parents' hearts. There were liars there. Thieves. Adulterers. Drunkards. Public and known sinners. They wanted to hear Jesus Christ because they knew there was forgiveness there. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, muttered under their breath, complained to each other, what kind of a prophet is this if he receives sinners? 
Why is he letting that those scumbags get so close to him? He's even eating with them. That's disgusting. He's not holding the fine traditions and rules of our profession. We don't dirty ourselves with people like that. Those disgusting whores. We're in this category as well. There is, to our shame, envy, resentment, and pride about others who sin publicly, openly, and we know about it when they repent and come for forgiveness. We want to get a pound of flesh. We want to see if they're sincere. Let them prove that they're as good as we are. Not the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh. Can't find me an example in the New Testament where he ever did such to anyone. I love John chapter 8. The woman taken in adultery. Woman? He didn't say, Do you know how despicable of a sin you've committed? He said, Woman, where art thou thine accusers? Where art thine accusers? Where are they? I don't have any, Lord. Neither do I accuse thee. Go and sin no more. That's the Savior I give you. That's the Savior Luke 15 gives you. It's a thief that has cursed him on the cross. As he hung there in the darkness of that hour, the flies buzzing around his drying blood, the sweat, the thirst, the pain, the mocking, and he threw his curses and mocks in with the rest. But then when he came to his right mind, as he found his soul in want, as the hour of death approached very closely, he said, Lord, remember me. And we've sung that this morning, haven't we? Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That is a forgiving Savior. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and doubt His forgiveness, the problem is not with the Savior. The problem is with you. The forgiveness is there. But let's be excited about Jesus Christ forgiving sins. Let's be excited about forgiving those that sin against us. Let's be excited as a church about forgiving those that sin against the Lord that we get to receive again into our number. And I am looking forward to it. And I hope every soul in here is looking forward to it. And we're going to do it very, very soon. We would be doing it right now if I didn't have people away on vacation. Because I don't want them missing it. I hope you understand now the timing. 2 cr- two crowds of people there mixed. We're in both. And we're going to follow a lesson through these three parables that speak to both. Do you know what I love about the Lord Jesus Christ? He defends those that are helpless. Jesus in Luke chapter 7 went to a supper with Simon the Pharisee. And he sat at that table and mighty Simon had all of his friends about him. He was so puffed up, pumped up, arrogant, proud, conceited, and haughty. He had the Lord Jesus Christ at his table. He was showing him off to his friends. 
and slinking in through the back door came a woman that was a sinner. And she came to the feet of Jesus Christ. She wanted to draw near to Him because she needed to hear a word from His lips, forgiven. And the Bible tells us that Jesus looked at her and spoke to Him. Simon, when I came in, you didn't kiss me. You didn't give me water for washing my feet. But this woman, this woman you despise, this prostitute, if you will, it doesn't say that. This public sinner that you despise, she has not stopped kissing me and washing my feet with her tears since I got here. If you need a translation... Simon, you are a self-righteous pig. Woman, you are my child and I love you. And you are forgiven. I love a Savior that defends His people. And so what you're going to find in these three parables is coming out of the lips of the wisest in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Words of comfort for the woman at His feet which in this case is the crowd of publicans and sinners, and a rebuke for Simon, which is the crowd of Pharisees and scribes, all at once with the same words. Jesus can do it. He's the master of language. But do you know what? He speaks to both of us. He cuts us where we are not as forgiving as we should be. He puts salve on those wounds as He comforts us that He forgives sinners. Let's go. We have three parables. A parable is an extended proverb. Parables and proverbs are dark sayings. They are not made to make the lesson more easily understood, although it would be hard to believe that with these three, because these are so simple. The Bible tells us that about parables in both Testaments. They're dark sayings of the wise, This saying isn't very dark. As you read the book of Proverbs, you realize some Proverbs are more difficult than others. Some are truly dark sayings. Some are rather plain. These are rather plain. These parables here. It's a mistake to go into these parables and get ourselves all cumbered down with the details. I don't need to spend 15 minutes telling you about sheep, how much they weigh, how they mate, where they live, what kind of a climate they like. All of that is pretty worthless. What you need to know is 99 verses 1 carrying it home on his shoulders when it's lost and hunting for it diligently. When we talk about coins, I don't need to give you a review of the Roman and Jewish coins that were circulating in Palestine. All that's worthless. What's important is 9 verses 1. And then we see the two prodigals. It's not a lesson on child training. It's a lesson on the love of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ for sinners with the focus being on the elder son as we get toward the end who did not have the right spirit about receiving his younger brother. Let us bask in the forgiveness of God as we look at these three parables. The first one is going to run from verses 3 through 7. And he spake this parable unto them, saying... He's addressing both crowds. 
But who is the last antecedent that we have referenced by this pronoun? The Pharisees and the scribes. He speaks to Simon, comforting those that are near to him that want to hear every word he has to say. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me! For I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Amen. The first parable. The lost sheep. Jesus turns and says, what man of you? Now Jesus has used language like this before when speaking to the Pharisees, hasn't he? What man of you is there that when his ox is in a ditch on the Sabbath day, doth not pull it out? He's addressing Simon while comforting the woman. He's addressing the Pharisees and the scribes while comforting the sinners and the publicans. The master of a parable. The Lord Jesus Christ. What man of you? Because this is a rule of nature. This is a rule of every man. This is a rule of every one of you. If you have a hundred of something that are precious to you, and one is lost, you do not reason, well, that's just a 1% loss, blow it off. If it's dear to you, you leave the... You don't reason that way, do you? He's going to start with a 1% loss. I've got the 90 and 9 safe here, and they really aren't even important at that moment. As long as they're safe and as long as they're doing well, I must go get that one. I must go get that one that is lost. That one becomes more important than the 90 and 9 because the 90 and 9 are secure. I need to go get the one and bring it back that was lost. It was mine. It is mine, but it's wandered away. I need to go get it back. And the one becomes more important than the ninety and nine. I'm giving you the lesson of the parable. The one is more important than the ninety and nine. Isn't that what verse 7 told us? I do cheat when I explain parables. I look for the Savior explaining them for me. And it's in verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. But let's keep talking about sheep. Jesus knew that He could condemn those Pharisees in their hearts by asking them this question because they would say yes to every question. What man is there of you that if he has a hundred sheep and one is lost, he will not leave the ninety and nine and he will go into the wilderness and search for that sheep until he finds it? What man is there of you that won't do that? Do you know what they had to say within themselves? Every one of us would do that. For a sheep. For a sheep. A 1% loss to the flock. They would do that. He asks another, he says something else. Verse 5, he says, And when he hath found it, 
he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. Guess what they would have to say to that? Yes, we would treat our sheep like that as well. If we went and found a sheep, because they're so dumb, they're so silly, they're so foolish, a sheep can wander off. It's not an intelligent creature. God uses that creature, and I believe He made that creature to be able to use it later, describing us. It wanders off and gets lost, can't find its way home. It's, it's not like other creatures that can find their way home. Not a sheep. And so this man, when he goes and finds it, he doesn't beat it laying there in the thorns. Oh, come listen to me, brethren. He doesn't beat it while it's laying there in the thorns. He doesn't tie a rope to its left hind leg and drag it back to the flock. I'm going to get my pound of flesh out of this foolish little thing. He puts it on his shoulders. Can you see a shepherd with a sheep wrapped up around his shoulders, the four legs here in front, carrying it home, back to the flock? You know what the Pharisees had to admit? Yes, we would. Do you know what the rest of the crowd was thinking? Oh, Lord, can I be your sheep? Am I your sheep? Do you love me in the way that you're describing by this parable? And brethren, we're in both, we're in both camps. So we ought to be rebuked on one hand and comforted on the other by the same words. Jesus is still asking this rhetorical question by describing this scenario and asking them if it would not be true of them. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. You know, the man doesn't go call his friends and say, Rejoice with me. I have all hundred sheep after a day in the fields. He says, rejoice with me. I have found the one that was lost. He may have been gone for three hours. He may have been gone for three days. Rejoice with me. My efforts to keep my flock intact were successful. I found the lost one. I found the foolish one that had run away. And I've brought it home. Rejoice with me. I have found the sheep that was lost. What man is there of you? Oh, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. No man spake like this man. Right. He spoke to the Pharisees and comforted the sinners with the same sentences. What man is there of you that would not treat a sheep this way? They all had to admit that they would treat a sheep that way. All the sinners had to admit this parable was sweet to their ears. They knew what he was doing. The common people understood him at most every turn. And they loved the Lord Jesus Christ when he rebuked the Pharisees and scribes and shut their lips. Read Matthew 21 and 22. Are you getting comfort and a warning out of this passage already? They would treat sheep that way, and we often treat things that way, but can we treat a brother in Christ that way who repents? And comes back to the Lord. So Jesus gives us an explanation. He says in verse 7, I say unto you that likewise, I have given you a true metaphor. I have given you a true comparison. This parable is true. It reflects heavenly things by earthly examples. 
I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now we need to explain what are these just persons that need no repentance. First of all, they are the Pharisees and the scribes who think they are just and think they need no repentance. We know that by the way the Lord addressed them every other time He speaks to them. Remember, it was the Pharisees where Jesus said, He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Do you think this fits? They murmured about the sinners coming near to Jesus Christ. Does this cross-reference fit three chapters later? Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Does it sound like the same audience, the same situation? The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. And he spat the word. The first thing the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to understand about the ninety and nine, when He defines them as ninety-nine just persons that need no repentance, is that they think they are just. They are those that justify themselves before men. They don't think they need repentance because they don't see themselves as sinners. The Apostle Paul was once such a man. He said, I was alive without the law once. He felt he was blameless as measured by the righteousness of the law. So the first explanation we want for that ninety and nine just persons is the scribes and the Pharisees. And brethren, I said we're in both categories. What part of us thinks that way? I'm glad I've never done anything like that person has. You're a Pharisee and a scribe. You're the ninety and nine that think you're just. That think you don't need repentance. You should be repenting for the arrogant pride that would even cause you to say such a thing. The second way that we can understand the ninety and nine is that some men's sins go beforehand, going before to judgment. Some men's they follow after. Some men are more rebellious, wild, by character, by temperament, lack of training, rebellion against good training, whatever the case might be. And so they sin outwardly and openly and more heinously than other men whose sins are hidden more. And so the ones whose sins are hidden more, instead of realizing they're all cut from the same cloth, they all come from the same pod, and the same blood flows through all their veins, and they have the same heart, they despise those that have sinned openly. So in both ways we want to understand what Jesus meant by the ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. They are just and need no repentance in light of large public sins like the publicans and sinners did. I've given you those two explanations in the order in which you should understand them. First, it's a rebuke to the Pharisees and the scribes for thinking that they were just, not needing repentance. And this verse compares to the older brother. The older brother that's going to come in from the field and say, why in the world are we celebrating? You've never celebrated me, and I've been faithful all my life and never broken a single commandment. Self-righteousness is what we want to understand by that. Two two audiences. Jesus addresses both. 
he lumps the Pharisees and the scribes into the audience of the ninety and nine that think they are just and need no repentance. The one little lost sheep are those harlots and publicans, murderers and parent haters that are standing there wanting to hear him, and he comforts them with the same words. Now, brethren, when you look at this little lost sheep, and we relate this to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have read Psalm 32 already this morning, when the Lord Jesus Christ finds us after we have wandered away, and we're bleeding for help, how do you think a shepherd finds a sheep? It comes out and attacks him? It's bleeding for help. It's a little repentant sheep. It's found, it's caught, its leg is hung up in a thorn bush. Does he tie a rope to its left leg and drag it home? Does he beat it? He puts it on its, sho- on its shoulders and brings it back to the flock. That is the Lord Jesus Christ and how He's treated every one of us. And how thankful we ought to be. This is one of the simplest passages in the whole Bible. Everyone can understand this. He searches for it diligently until he finds it. Does the Lord lose a single one of His? Never. And He calls together His friends and neighbors. And what's that to represent? The angels in heaven rejoice. Do you know what the angels in heaven exist for? They are servants for the heirs of eternal life. They are your and my servants. And when they see the power and the grace of God extended on our behalf to go and find us out in some thorn bush and to bring us back, they rejoice in in heaven over what's been done for an heir of eternal life, one of the sons of God that was foolish. They have never seen such care ever exerted on behalf of one of their race. Ever. When the angels sinned and fell from their first estate, there was no shepherd for them. There was no shepherd that went and sought them. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't go and seek Satan. And they know Him as the most powerful angel ever created. So they rejoice at this magnificent display of the Lord Jesus Christ chasing, seeking, finding, putting on His shoulders and bringing back a sheep that was lost. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12 tells us that the way that Jesus Christ teaches the church is for the manifold display to the principalities, the angels of heaven, God's grace toward us. They rejoice. There's a party in heaven. There ought to be one on earth. Let's go to the second parable. Verses 8 through 10. Either... Meaning, here's another one like the first one. Either, what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Here the nine coins are not mentioned as being nine coins that are just and need no repentance. We already have that from verse 7. But here's a woman with a meager allowance given to her by her stingy husband. Okay, The Lord seldom uses a woman. 
But he used a woman in this case because if she were given an allowance, as Proverbs 31 and 31 describes, give her of the fruit of her hands, and her husband gave her a small allowance, and she was to make it stretch as wide as the food budget. All of you ladies know exactly what I'm talking about, or most of you do. If you don't, it's because your kids are gone, times are good, and you're a little farther along. But there was a time where the budget was small, and so ten coins were precious to a woman, and she loses one. We don't want to talk about coins. We want to talk about ten and one. We want to talk about nine versus one. Just like the ninety and nine that think, remember, the ninety and nine that think they are just, they don't concern the Lord at all. But the one out bleeding in the thorn bush concerns them greatly. The ninety and nine that have never sinned openly, publicly, if we look at it that way, they're safe. They're okay. This one over here that has sinned terribly, what a display of my love and care for me to go get him or her. So it's the one versus the nine. Either. What woman? And he's asking a rhetorical question. And the answer is, my wife would. Every Pharisee had to say, yes, my wife would do that. Even though this is small pocket change that she has. This is not the man's estate. This is pocket change and she's lost one piece. Yes, my wife would do this. She would light a candle. She would stop. She would invest. She would spend the money. She would spend the time to light a candle to be able to see. She would sweep the house, not just taking a casual glance around, but she would sweep just perchance that coin was hidden under some dust and seek diligently till she find it. Oh, there's no wasted word in Scripture. Every word of God is pure. She's lit, in a, she's lit in a candle to be able to see. She's not going to just do this perchance that she finds it. She's going to create light. She's going to sweep to stir up everything that's on the floor in the hopes that it will be uncovered. And she's going to do it diligently till she find it. She will stay at the task until she's got it back. Were there some hearts that were beginning to smile in the audience? The publicans and the sinners. Cast off by society, rejected by their church, and rightfully so, for a time, but now repentant. They were warming to what the Savior was teaching. And they, they knew the Pharisees had to answer, yes, their wives would do that. Their wives would indeed do that for one piece of pocket change, or one piece of a grocery budget. And when she had found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. And the Pharisees had to say, they had to admit within themselves, this is true. This is true. We would treat sheep that way and our wives would treat a lost coin that way. We would celebrate a recovered sheep. They would celebrate a recovered coin. They're being hammered by the Lord Jesus Christ for their self-righteous hatred for those sinners that they ought to be celebrating that the lost, forlorn, rebellious of Israel were repenting. Likewise, 
Likewise, I love it when he tells me exactly how the metaphor is to be compared. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And those repentant sinners and publicans that were standing there were comforted knowing that Jesus had just told them twice heaven was rejoicing because they were there in a repentant spirit to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the third parable. We'll read verse 2, verse 24. We'll break it in half. We'll read about the younger son, the prodigal. Then we'll read about the older son, the self-righteous one. Verses 11 through 24. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. If there is one word that is a key to all of Luke 15, it's the word joy. A shepherd has joy finding one lost sheep out of a flock of 100. A woman has joy finding one coin lost out of 10. The angels in heaven have joy over one sinner that repents. This father has joy over a son returning to him. Joy. You want a few more words? Joy at the repentance of sinners. That's what we want to learn. That's what we want to focus on. Let's think about the foolishness of the prodigal. A certain man had two sons and it was the younger of them. The one who should have been patient and waited. The one who should have let his brother make the first move. Not this young whippersnapper, arrogant little punk 
who wants his inheritance ahead of time. He's a presumptuous little lad. And brethren, every word that I say, we ought to compare to how we treat the God of heaven, who is our Father by nature and by spirit. He is our Father by being our Creator. He is our Father by being our Preserver. And He is our Father by giving us all spiritual blessings. This is exactly how we treat the God of heaven. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. I want what I, I want what is promised to me. I want it now. I don't want to wait for it. I want to remind you who earned this, these goods. It wasn't the little boy. It wasn't the prodigal. It was the father that earned them. Notice what that last sentence says of verse 12. And he divided unto them his living, his estate, All that he had acquired in his life, he divided to his two sons. Please understand that. The older son got his inheritance as well. He was told, whatever is left is all yours, son. You will need that to understand a verse later. But the young man took all that his father had earned. Now, was he a patient young man? Was he making investments that would be good for his future? No. He was a foolish Wicked, wasteful, profligate, prodigal son. And so it says not many days after. It didn't take him very long that once he had the cash, I'm going to go do what I want to do. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He didn't leave any with his father. No wisdom of put this in his savings account, father, because I wouldn't want to squander what you've earned for me. And brethren... We must understand that everything God has given to us, especially His grace, can be squandered. We can presume on it as foolishly as this young man presumed on his father's estate. We can take advantage of the truth and the light of God's Word, of all the spiritual blessings that have been given to us, and we can waste them. We can presume on them. We can go live our way and waste that precious privilege that the God of heaven has given us in this church with our understanding of the Word of God. You need to make that comparison at every point if I don't make it to you. Not many days after, impatience. Couldn't couldn't stay. Couldn't continue. The life of a man, the life of a Christian man, is to stay, to hold fast, to remain steadfast, not to be moved away, to continue. The older son did. The younger one wouldn't. Gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. I want to get away as far as I can from my father. I'm sick of his eyes watching me. I'm sick of his mouth telling me what I'm doing wrong. I want to get away from authority. I don't like being told what to do. Oh, how, how many times have we ever done that? Here it is. A far country. You know, why couldn't he move next door? Lord, Father, I'm going to set up an apartment in town and see what it's like to live on my own. I'll come back and see you every now and then. No, I'm going to blow him off and get out of here. Ever been there, done that? took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. No more rules! No more rules! 
No more rules. I'm tired of hearing about rules. That's what riotous means. No rules. Uncontrolled. No discipline. Just spend and be spent in a different way than Paul meant it. And when he had spent all, ah, yes, when he had spent all, he thought it would make him happy. But it comes to an end because the pleasures of sin are only for a season. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. Isn't it amazing what God can do sometimes by His providence when we try to run away? Our money runs out and then there is a famine. That is not a good combination. And it's arranged by the God of heaven. That's what David meant when he said, His hand was heavy upon me and my moisture was dried up. Oh, the Lord of heaven can do that. And I'm thankful that He does it. Because if He didn't do it, we wouldn't have got the prodigal into the pig pen where he could have found his right mind. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Two plus two does equal four. All money spent in hard times equals poverty. And how foolish we are when we go out there in the world thinking, this world is going to satisfy me. I'm going to run away from the Lord. His rules are too binding. They're too oppressive. I don't like being accountable. I don't like men following up on me. Been there, done that. More than anyone else here, probably. Verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. I don't need to go home. I can still make it. I'm... I can still make it. The rest of this world's getting along. It looks pretty fine. It looks like they're making it. I'll join myself with them. I ain't going back there. I'm not going to humble myself. I'll join them. They'll befriend me. They'll take care of me. And together we'll rebel. I don't need to go home. I can make it on my own. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Do you know as good as it gets out there in the world? is you're going to be sent into the fields to feed swine. There is no lasting happiness or joy or fulfillment out there in the world. Hear me, children. And he would feign. He wished with all his heart. (laughs) He would feign. He wanted to consider eating the husk that he was feeding the swine. But no one gave him anything. They were just using him. They were just using him. The world was using him. He thought they would befriend him. He hired himself out. He thought he could join with them. He thought they'd give him some protection so he wouldn't have to go home. We think the world's going to give us the peace that we don't need the church of God. Or we don't need the Heavenly Father in close relationship. We think we can make it. He would fain have filled his belly with the husk the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. He was left destitute out there. Because children, you will find outside of your family in this room today. And outside of this church, no one cares about you. Not in any true or lasting way. And if you go out there, you will end up finding that they will not take care of you. They do not care. Like your Heavenly Father cares. And like those care that your Heavenly Father has spoken to. Verse 17, when He came to Himself. When He came to Himself, that means He was beside Himself. Earlier, 
He was out of his mind. He was insane earlier. Now it says he came to himself. How do we come to ourselves, brethren? And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. What starts all that? The repentance given by God. The repentance given by God breaks into the heart where the heart says, I am wrong. And that is the first step to recovery by that person out of the snare of the devil. Because if you will resist the devil, the devil will flee from you. But a man will not resist the devil until God gives him repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That is how the the passage is worded. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Because repentance, brethren, is powerful. Repentance makes all the difference in the world. A repentant sinner is very different from a sinner. Repentance makes the difference. Repentance is the key. We don't find the Father chasing the Son down into a brothel. The Father is not breaking into a brothel and trying to pull His Son out of a bed with a harlot. We find the Father waiting for the repentance. Repentance is the key. And it's a precious key. It comes from God. And brethren, every time you have been in sin and have been given repentance to confess that sin and to turn from it and seek to escape the bondage that claimed you, that is proof of life eternal. That is proof of God's grace in your life. And it is a personal message from Him that He loves you as His lost sheep. You are His lost coin, and you are the prodigal, and He will receive you if you'll keep running with that repentance that initiated it. He came to Himself. He said, Whoa! What am I doing out here? I'm unhappy. I have nothing. This world is cruel. My Father's house, everyone's eating, and there's food left over. This is stupid. I thought this would make me happy, but it doesn't make me happy. Why am I more frustrated seeking happiness with 100% of my being? Why am I less happy than when I was denying myself and just following the Lord? This doesn't make sense. This is pitiful. This is stupid. Why did I do this? He's in his right mind. When you're talking like that, you're in your right mind. When you're thinking to yourself, I'm okay. I'm going to survive. Oh, you're still beside yourself. You're still insane. He came to his right mind. He says, I will arise and go to my father. Look at God granted the repentance to get him in his right mind. And then he says, I will arise. God gives us the strength through that gift of repentance. I will arise and go to my father. He knew his father, didn't he? He knew his father. I will arise and go to my Father and will say unto Him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before Thee. That is is humility. I have sinned. He didn't just show up at home again. Have you ever seen kids that did that or heard of cousins or nieces that did that? 
just show up at home again, that isn't repentance. It's I have sinned. I have sinned against thee, Father, and I have sinned against heaven. Here's true repentance. I am no more worthy to be called a son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. That's how we measure repentance. We want to hear that kind of language. Not just showing up again. Hey, Dad. Hey, bro. How you doing? What you guys doing this afternoon? You mind if I join in? That's not repentance. That stinks. I have sinned against thee. He goes right to the party that he sinned against. I have sinned against thee. I have sinned against heaven. I am not worthy to be called a son. Make me a hired servant. And he arose. Oh, real repentance doesn't just talk about it. Real repentance does it. I will arise, and then he arises. I will arise and go to my father, and verse 20 tells us, and he arose and came to his father. He did what he said he was going to do. That's repentance. That's what these publicans and sinners were doing that were there. They weren't just talking about following the Lord. They came to Him. But when He was yet a great way off, as soon as we turn, the God of heaven turns toward us. He may have had His hand heavy upon us, but when we turn, He turns right with us. He granted the repentance. He looks for the fruit of it. And when we exercise that repentance, He is there to receive us. And when He was yet a great way off, the Father was looking for Him. Who knows if this Father was not in a tower daily wondering if down the road He would see His Son coming back. When He was a great way off, His Father saw Him. What was the, what was the response from His Father's heart? Compassion. Love. Tenderness. Mercy. Compassion. His father had compassion and ran. He ran. He didn't pull up a chair out on the porch and sit there. I want to see what he has to say. He ran. Now, don't apply this as a child training lesson unless your child fits the lesson. We have someone here who is very repentant in his right mind, granted by repentance from God. This is not a child training lesson. This is a grace of God lesson. Of of the how we'll be received when we repent. The Father will see us, have compassion, run, and fall on our necks and kiss us. What an affectionate Father, seeing that repentance, runs to Him, embraces Him. Forgiveness is immediately from His lips in a kiss. From a hug around His neck. The young man knows he's forgiven by this loving father who is just waiting for us to turn to him again. But notice the son. We have a real change here. Though the father embraces him, and though forgiveness is obvious, and it's full, and the love is is emanating from this father, the son still follows through on his repentance. Look at what it says. And the son said unto him, Father, exactly as he had planned, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Repentance that is not true feels the father's embrace and says to himself, well, that was pretty easy. That was pretty cheap. Good, I'm back. That wasn't too bad. Oh, no. True repentance doesn't think that way at all. It follows through on the action. 
and addressing his father who had just kissed him, he did not let that end the matter. Father, I have sinned against thee and against heaven. I am not worthy to be called your son. Just hire me on. He followed through. But the father. But the father said, no way. You're not a hired, you're not a hired servant. You're my son. You've been a little foolish, but you're forgiven. Servants, watch the difference. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. He wanted to be one of them. The father would not let him just be one of them. The father doesn't let us just be one of the angels, one of the servants. The father makes us much more than that. We are a son. We're not a servant like the angels are. They desire to look into these things because they can't believe the Father's love toward us. Servants, get out here and make a distinction. Put the best robe on my son. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet so he'll look different than you. And bring hither the fatted calf that we've been holding up in that little stall in the barn for a good occasion. And kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And the lesson is merriment at the repentance of sinners. A rebuke to the Pharisees, comfort to the publicans and the sinners. And they began to be merry. Because a son recovered from the dead is an event worth celebrating. A harlot recovered from her sins is worth celebrating. A harlot that wants to come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ is worth celebrating. Who cares what she did in the past? Your sins are more than sufficient to cast you to the bottom depths of hell. Look at her now. She's in her right mind. Let's celebrate. Verse 25, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The elder brother are the Pharisees and the scribes. And we are among their number sometimes. We sometimes look at other sinners and say, that is a sinner. That is a sinner. The Lord does not want us doing that. That elder brother should have been excited that his younger brother was home, recovered from sin and foolishness. But instead, he gets angry 
The anger of the elder brother is the same as the murmuring of the Pharisees and the scribes in that they despised those publicans and sinners. And then his claim of self-righteousness. I've never sinned against you. I've never treated you like that younger brother did. You've never killed for me the fatted calf. And the father can't believe the words he's hearing. Let me tell you something. The most wicked of the two sons is the one right here. The elder son. For his arrogance, his self-righteousness, and his lack of appreciation for his father. Because there's no end to this problem. This is self-righteousness, and it's one of the most dangerous sins to ever deal with. Because how do you convince someone that they're wrong when they don't think they're capable of being wrong? Notice him dig up the dirt. Don't you know he's been sleeping with prostitutes? Doesn't say that earlier in the text, does it? Don't you know he's been sleeping around and devoured all your living? Do you know how stupid he's been and how wicked he's been? The talk of the elder brother. We do not want to talk that way. We don't want to know the details. We want to know what the menu says. We want to celebrate. We don't want a history. We want a celebration. Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. I gave him his portion, all that's left, all that I've earned in my life, is yours. What are you complaining about? Son, this was my son. I loved him. He's back. And it's all understood that he's back repentant. Because these were repentant publicans and sinners. And because we've been given the story already. Two lessons for us. There's more than that, but let's try to see what we should learn. When you sin and you wonder if there's forgiveness, the Father will see you afar off. He'll have compassion when He sees you turn. He will run to meet you. He will embrace you and kiss you. And you will know that forgiveness is full free and final for that, for, for that offense. David learned that in Psalm 32.5 that we read earlier. Another thing that we can learn. We should not have any envious attitude toward those that repent and are recovered from sin. We should want to celebrate. There shouldn't be anything holding us back. Let's not tie a rope to their hind leg and drag them back to the flock. Let's carry them back on our shoulders. Let's not try to extract a pound of flesh from them. Let's give them a pound of flesh in a 16-ounce T-bone, a fatted calf dinner, which we will have very, very soon. Let's remember this lesson to comfort each of us. There will be times where we find one another overcome by some fault or some sin. And we need to all know Luke 15 to be able to comfort each other, that if you'll confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brethren, we can all start over every day. Let's all realize that ourselves. Let's comfort each other with that. And let's help repenting sinners start over. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.